This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, thanks for joining me on the 39th episode of Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been in private practice for over 20 years in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I started podcasting about 10 months ago, wanting to give people an opportunity to take a sneak peek into the world of therapy or psychology, maybe listen in to how a psychologist thinks, feels, what she or he might say. I think a podcast is the perfect format for that. So welcome to this episode. Today, we're talking about what men and women need from each other. And guess what? It's different. We'll talk a little bit about some of the studies about gender differences. And this is a controversial topic, believe me. And then I'm going to give you a down-home example. I am from Arkansas, after all. A down-home example of how men and women think differently about meeting each other's needs or wants. Then we'll talk a little bit about John Gray's first book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. I have a few interesting quotes from him. Then there's a book that I've mentioned in other podcasts, but I want to talk a little more specifically about in today's episode to give you some ideas about the more current version of how men and women can best understand one another and thereby meet each other's needs. Today's email from a listener, what do you do when a parent's love is very controlling? This is a common problem, so I hope you'll listen in. As I said in the intro, this really isn't an episode or a podcast about specific gender differences, whether they exist or whether they don't exist. A lot of people, of course, believe that they are culturally defined rather than actual biological or genetic differences, and there's evidence for that in some way. However, I did find an interesting article in The Atlantic. The actual article was about three or four years old, and it's a link in your show notes. It was quoting a study from 2008, so that's almost a decade ago, but it was in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. They looked at 55 nations and compared data on gender and personality across those nations. What they found? Throughout the world, women tend to be more nurturing, risk-averse, and emotionally expressive, while men are usually more competitive, risk-taking, and emotionally flat. I'm not sure that's a very attractive version of either men or women. But the most fascinating finding is this. Personality differences between men and women are the largest and most robust in the more prosperous, egalitarian, and educated societies. One would think that the opposite would be true. With more education, more opportunity, that gender differences would decrease. But that's not what they found. So no matter what you believe about whether gender differences actually exist or don't, I certainly have watched people struggle to communicate about their needs because of the ways that men and women think differently about what they need as a man and as a woman and how that can get so confusing and really be completely destructive to 
a couple if they're not tuning in to one another. I've checked these theories out with the people I see, and so far so good, they tell me that it fits. So to set the stage, I want to tell a story about Waffle House. I don't know if you've ever been to Waffle House. They have great grits. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you a story about how a Waffle House visit enlightened me about the differences between men and women. So here's the story. My son, Rob, and I, who was probably seven or eight at the time, were leaving home in one car, and we were meeting my husband at Waffle House for breakfast. He's just a few minutes behind us, but we're in a hurry for some reason, which I can't remember why. Now, we had been going to Waffle House since Rob was eating Cheerios from one of those Ziploc bags, and we all ate the same thing every time. It was sort of ritualistic. So Rob and I get to Waffle House first. We chat and we order, and I order for my husband as well. Plus, he's starving. And he'll be there soon. So he walks in and I said, well, I got your ham and cheese omelet. And he goes, oh, great, thanks. I got your tea the way you like it. And then we were sitting there and I started thinking something that <laughs> psychologists do a little too much of sometimes. And I looked at him and said, just out of curiosity, if I had been the late one, would you have ordered for me? He looked at me and said, no, I wouldn't have. And I said, why not? And the answer is the really $10,000 response because I would have been afraid you would have been mad. This would have been the one time that you wanted something different, and I didn't want to disappoint you. And I looked at him and said, mad? No, I would have felt cared for and known and adored and remembered and cherished. (laughs) But that's a huge difference. What that reveals is that many men really want to please and are afraid of failing. But of course, how many women interpret that is that they don't care, or they haven't listened, or they don't know, and it hurts their feelings and or makes them mad. So we'll get back to Waffle House, but first let's talk about the first real book that I remember that was a popular book to talk about the dynamic of the differences in between genders. It was John Gray's book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Many of you listening probably do not remember it, I pulled it up out of curiosity because I wanted to know if what he said in the book now many years later would be dated or maybe even sexist. But at least when I looked at the quotes that had been pulled from the book, I don't have the book and I wasn't able to actually read it, but some of the quotes were very interesting. For example, when a man can listen to a woman's feelings without getting angry and frustrated, he gives her a wonderful gift. He makes it safe for her to express herself. The more she's able to express herself, the more she feels heard and understood, and the more she's able to give a man the loving trust, acceptance, appreciation, admiration, approval, and encouragement that he needs. So that's somewhat similar to my Waffle House story. Another one I liked was when she says, I feel like you're not even here. He says, what do you mean I'm not here? Of course I'm here. Don't you see me? (laughs) That's pretty funny. I actually had a man one time, I I couldn't believe this, we would laugh about this in graduate school, but he looked at his wife and looked at me and said, I told her I loved her the day I married her. Why do I have to do it now? (laughs) I really didn't know what to say. But more recently, doctors Patricia Love and Steve Snozny have written about how to work out these dynamics in their wonderful book on partnership, how to improve your marriage without talking about it. This book is based on sociological research, which makes it a little bit different from someone who's just 
giving us their opinion or their expertise. And it includes very practical and tangible guidelines. For example, there's a study they quote about research in infants. And they note that when female infants sense disappointment in their mother's voice, the female infant will turn toward the mother. What does a male infant do? He looks away in the same situation. Now, of course, we can, as adults, read all kinds of things into that. We don't really know what's going on, but it is interesting that there's such a difference. Before I read this book, and actually I heard Dr. Love at a conference, I'd figured out the part as a therapist about men really wanting to please women and being disappointed when they didn't. The part that was news to me, because I'm not a guy, was the sense of failure, of really abject failure. And of course, that sense of failure is often hidden by either anger or withdrawal. The cycle begins because women, as a gender, want to be understood. We want to be known, like my Waffle House story. We want to know that our guy knows what makes us tick. And when we don't get that sense of understanding, what do we tend to do? That list varies from subtle to dramatic, from very passive-aggressive behavior to being very demanding to even being cruel. And, of course, the woman can also withdraw and become more passive as she waits. In that situation, both people end up really very lonely. In fact, in all of these scenarios, both in the relationship are lonely. Now, the interesting thing is that Dr. Love and Stosny suggest is that there are certain exercises that you can do together. They have them in the book, and I'd highly recommend it. You can assess and measure and then discuss your different levels of intimacy, emotional, sexual, physical, relational. And then if you both recognize this pattern and keep it in mind, oh yeah, my guy needs to feel really affirmed. Oh yeah, she needs to feel understood. I'm not needing to solve the problem that she's talking about. I'm needing to listen to her. That if you can both pull that off, you're going to be happier. And then the book goes on to suggest a certain way of communicating. And I'm not going to go into that today. By the way, I'm not getting paid or anything to (laughs) suggest this book to you. I have found it to be really helpful to people in a very pragmatic way. What you'll find when you begin to figure it out and when you begin to pay attention to what your partner's basic needs are, things that might blow up and get way out of proportion won't do so. Again, I'll give you another example from my own life. It was my 20th wedding anniversary, and I had this very special event planned for my husband. I had mustered up some money and gotten him two tickets to the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia, or the practice round. Couldn't afford the real thing. (laughs) But I wanted him and my son to go. It'd be a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I can remember Rob, my son, saying to his dad, because he knew what I had gotten, He said, Dad, you planning on something nice for Mom? You sure? You thinking about it? Well, the time came, and I was so excited about giving the tickets. He opened them, and his eyes misted up. He was just so pleased. And he pulled out a box for me, and it was a blouse. (laughs) It was a nice blouse. I'm not sure it was a gift fitting for 20 years. But it's what he could give. And I really thought at the time, about my whole Waffle House enlightenment. 
and realized it was such a big event, 20 years, it was so important that it paralyzed him. He didn't want to disappoint me. And I got to where I liked the blouse. <laughs> Later, when we went on another trip, he picked up a little ring for me, so, which I still wear and adore. But anyway, that's a good example of a situation that I might have said, you don't love me, you didn't put enough effort into thinking of a really nice present, but I would have been missing the point and not having compassion for what he's afraid of, for what he struggles with. So if we can do that for one another as different genders, perhaps our partnerships will be more fulfilling. So again, the name of the book, if you're interested, is How to Improve Your Marriage Without Talking About It. I think it might be helpful to you. Today's email from a listener is a really poignant one. Hi, Dr. Margaret. I follow your blog and have listened to some of your self-work podcasts. I'm a graduate student. This is my last semester of coursework on campus, and then I start clinical rotations in January. Ever since I started high school, I've had quite a difficult time with my parents. A friend at the time told me that not all parents treat their kids like mine did. I had no clue that it wasn't normal. My family looks super together in public, but when other people aren't around, the tides change and not in my favor. I'm the problem child, the one that is always wrong and being punished, regardless whether it's my fault or not. It never really stopped, but I went to college and distance helped. Whenever I try to make a decision independent of them and they don't agree with it, I'm emotionally blackmailed, guilt-tripped, or told that I'm putting myself first. I feel like I have no control, just like I was 16 again. I feel isolated because no one who knows them would believe this happens. I found a therapist I'm willing to try. I guess now I'm just nervous how to talk about this with them. I'm really afraid I won't be believed and that it's all in my head. There's not much out there on emotional abuse that's not in the context of a romantic relationship. It's hard to talk about when I feel like no one believes me, and I'm not sure why I'm writing, really. I have so much to be grateful for when it comes to them. You can see the bind that she's in. Her parents are loving with what I call conditionality, or at least it sounds like they are. As long as she's doing what they want her to do, then they will provide her with what she needs. I remember very well a woman I worked with years ago, actually, said that her mother would always send her clothes to college, and the other girls would ooh and ah over the clothing, and she, however, would look at it and think, I would never wear this. But she would dutifully put it on and wear it, thinking I should be grateful that my mother sends me clothes. This doesn't happen to the other girls. But she knew that her mother was going to expect to see her in those clothes when she came to visit. So let's get back to the email. It certainly sounds as if your parents are wanting to stay in control of your decisions and shaming you if those choices don't meet their wishes or expectations. When anyone remains financially dependent on a parent, then it can be tough when their support for you is conditional, meaning we'll provide economically for you as long as you do what we want and it sounds as if you are still dependent on them. There's also a dynamic called enmeshment that may be going on, which is when a child's independence isn't fostered, as their job is to be there for their parents. The books Toxic Parents 
and or the emotional incest syndrome come to mind. And I'll have those links in the show notes. I know that some parents will say, but if I'm paying for it, I get to have a say in it. And I agree with that to a certain extent. Obviously, if it's your money, say you're funding college or you're paying an apartment rental, then you certainly deserve some respect for that and some acknowledgement and gratitude. However, when a boundary is crossed and you are actually trying to control your adult child who may be simply making choices independent from you, you are not allowing your child to make a mistake or to do something that does not please you. And that's not fair to your child. And obviously from this email, the pressure of knowing that you're not pleasing your parents can be very destructive to where you even don't know if it's okay to have the feelings that you have. Let me get back to my answer. When a family looks great on the outside, others may buy into that. I hope that perhaps you've had at least one friend who knows you well and has seen your struggle. You are far from alone when it comes to being treated this way. Good luck to you and congrats on finishing your academics. This is a tough dynamic because you're not supposed to disagree. And when you do, there's even a veiled threat of you being cut off. You're the one who's wrong for being different from them. And so the risk can feel very great. So good luck to this listener. Thanks so much for hanging with me today. There are lots of ways you can reach out to me. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and I blog there weekly. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Margaret, and I'm over on Instagram as well. I want to announce that at the time of this recording, which I'm actually doing these a little early because I have a trip planned and I don't want my podcast to stop, but we've reached over 50,000 downloads. And I know that doesn't mean that 50,000 people are listening, but it's much more than I'd expected. And I so appreciate your loyalty and your listening. If you can take a minute to leave me a rating or review, I would be so very grateful. That's how we really spread the word about self-work. And I'd so appreciate your help with that. It doesn't take long and it means a lot. And of course, subscribe. That truly motivates me to not only keep on seeing my patients during the day, but spend time with you on this podcast. So keep those emails coming in. If you do not want me to use your email or your question on the podcast, please feel free to ask me that and I won't do it. But I'm getting more and more emails. I hope to be able to take the time to answer all of them. I certainly will if I can. So take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.